Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals, the podcast that allows every therapist, nail tech and stylist to level up, build their career and reach for their dreams. Each week we'll be looking at a different area of the industry and along the way I'll be chatting with salon owners, industry leaders and mentors who'll be sharing their stories on how they achieved their goals and made their successes. I'm Sue Davies, your host, award-winning salon owner and industry professional. Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals. Finally, it's here and it's launched. On this first episode, Donna Clayton joins me to discuss where we all start in our salon industry journey, and that's qualifications. There's so many different questions that surround qualification, and today, hopefully through the little chat that we have and that you're now going to listen to, you can get a really good insight into the best qualifications for the purposes that you require them. We're going to talk through the varying types of certification and qualification, how best to use training and workshops so that you get the right course for the right reasons. We'll be going through due diligence and what can happen when you don't follow due diligence and research and you follow the pound signs rather than the quality courses that are available. Donna also shares a few of her own career highlights too and some of the lessons that she's learned in her 20 year plus journey. So we'll go now over to the interview and we'll catch up on the other side. Good afternoon or good morning everybody and welcome to our interview today with the wonderful Donna Clayton, a great friend of mine and one of my fellow FMP board of directors Um, and today we're going to be talking about all things education. So we'll crack on and if Donna would you just like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and how you've got to be one of our industry's experts in education. Hi Sue, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. It's awesome. I'm really excited. I'm very honoured to be number one. I have to say, I feel like I'm ranking really high on your friends list (laughs) with this, but thank you so much. So just to give everybody a really brief, and I'll be really brief, um, intro about me. So uh, my name is Donna Clayton. Um, my main kind of business is um, I have a beauty training business called Metis Beauty Academy. Um, and I also have my second online business, which is the Academy Creator. So quick intro for me is I've been the FE, which is the further education teaching world now since 2002. Don't want to add that up. That's too long. Um, so I've been teaching for a very long time, mostly in colleges and have quite an extensive kind of college career there teaching across nails beauty holistics you name it I kind of pretty much teach across pretty much everything um, and managing programs um, and then when my son was three I went out and set my own training academy made loads of mistakes um, and then eventually figured it all out um, through trial and error and then some help from some coaches and things like that which I'm truly grateful for um, and then about a year ago I launched the academy creator as well because I want to help other people set up training academies and not have to go through all the mistakes I had so I've been teaching now for a year um, other people have to set up their training academies um, and also about six months into that time I got invited to be the director of education for the FMP which is the yeah. Federation now professionals which is we kind of knew each other before that point anyway we yes. had some crossover um, with what I was already doing with the academy creator and then we just got to converse even more with the FMP so I'm super excited and I'm so passionate about education and standards and our industry like they're like if you chop me in half that's that's what you'd see yeah. like a stick of rock <laughs> like a stick of rock you would see the NOS and standards and education <laughs> yeah I know it's just so weird because we, we kind of met 
was it last January, wasn't it? I think 2020, just before the pandemic and all of the, the drama of the last year started. And um, yeah, now we're kind of work wives, aren't we? We spend quite a lot of time. I would count you as my work wife right now. Yeah, definitely. we are. Yeah, we're, totally. we're kind of work partners now. But, uh, <laughs> so back to what we're going to talk about today. And, um, and if we just start, because the whole point of today's podcast is just to cover everything around education and qualification so we can help those that are newer to industry or maybe even if they want CPD education um, so that they can understand a little bit around how qualifications, um, how, yeah, kind of how they rank against each other, what a qualification is and um, yeah, just how they can kind of work their way through the minefield and uh, of, of just trying to make sure they get the right certificates that are in their portfolio for them. If I'll leave you to, uh, to carry on with that one. So yes, that is a big question indeed. Um, so looking at then, obviously at qualifications, we have a different breadth of qualifications. Um, and the main kind of ones you would do, which used to be kind of all college bound, but now obviously you can do these in private academies and things as well, would be your regulated qualifications. So these would be your off-qual regulated qualifications. Um, and this sits on the sort of national framework as well. So things like that you would see would be like your BTECs, um, you would see your MVQs and your VRQ kind of qualifications for that. And traditionally they would sit in like your, say your level two beauty, for example, your level two nails um, or even your hairdressing um, and your level three kind of qualifications as well. And obviously now we have things like the level four as well, uh, which is dipping into that. So they tend to be quite big qualifications, um, but you can also do each part of those qualifications in single units. The main difference with these is that they come from a set of standards, which are written by Havia, which is our only industry authority, but is the industry authority for beauty and hair and nails and everything in between. Um, and they basically set our benchmarks of what you should be able to do if you're a competent person in the workplace and what theory you need to know. So one thing you can be rest assured with any of those sorts of qualifications that sit in with that off-qual framework, um, no matter whether it comes from, say, City and Guilds or BTCT or something like that, or a SIBTAC qualification in your college um, or your training academy, is that you know they're all sticking to the same standards. So you're all learning the same and you're all being assessed and graded against the same set of standards. So there is that. We then got the accredited side of things. Um, and I guess kind of loosely you can put like brand training in with that as well, because a lot of that now comes together. So you can have your accredited qualifications. Now, they're slightly different. They don't actually stick to any specific standards, your accredited qualifications, um, because they're basically insurance companies. So it's an insurance company insuring that provider um, for them to run the course as well. Now, what you will notice as well is not every type of qualification you want to do is available in that national framework I talked about first. So this is where the accredited kind of side comes in and it fits in really, really well for that. So this is great for newer emerging treatments that are coming onto the market um, so that it's at least been checked over at a minimal standard, at least with the insurance companies, but it doesn't fit into the national framework just yet either. So you will find, depending on which provider you go to, you can find some slightly varying standards. So it's definitely worth investigating a little bit more before you hand over your cash um, when it comes down to the accredited side of it, just to make sure what standards they're following and things like that as well, what's involved. And then we have CPD. 
and CPD is your continued professional development. Um, and with the CPD, the idea of this is it's you're supposed to already have an underlying base skill, foundation skill already and a qualification, and that you're topping it up. So it's a skills extension. It's something that's adding on. So take someone who's qualified in acrylic nails, for example, um, and they're going to learn how to do, I don't know, like baby bloomers or competition work or something like that, or more 3D sculpting and things like that with it, then that would be considered CPD because they already know how to do the basics and they're now adding to that. So that's a CPD one. So again, that can fall under the accredited side um, or it can be down under like a CB, CBD points kind of side of things as well. So it can kind of all be wrapped up together. But essentially, it doesn't have to be on a framework side of things because you already have your core skill. You're just topping up your knowledge as well with that. So there are kind of our three main ways of looking at education, I guess. So if you're new to something, kind of going down the regulated route is probably your best bet, um, particularly as a new skill completely to you. If you're just topping up, then that's where the accredited side of things and the CPD side of things kind of comes in, particularly just dipping your toe in the water. Excellent. And so what about, because there's also attendance certificates, aren't there, that um, you can get? And I know I've had a few of these over the years. And so would you deem those to be more along the CPD kind of um, qualification? Or well, actually, we're misusing the word qualification there. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, sorry, getting my, my pedantic head on. But, um, <laughs> but it is, but those certificates, you know, they can be issued by anybody, really, can't they? They don't have to have... Um, the, structure behind them yeah the attendance doesn't actually have all it says is that you turned up to a course and you sat in on the course the attend if you get an attendance certificate it's not shown that you've passed anything um it's not shown that you've completed anything um and that you're competent in something so you can turn up to a course you can attend that course you can make notes you can do stuff on that day but if you haven't had your competence tested it, you need something else, you need something further at that point. So, you, you know, anybody can turn up to a workshop. And that's where I kind of see workshops a little bit, really, is a certificate of attendance. You know, that could be a, a fun nail art thing or a different type of mask. Um, and it's something that your insurers um, don't necessarily require you to have. Whereas when you're doing something that's got, um, you know, paying members of the public or a very new and in-depth addition to your skills and things. So it kind of crosses in that CPD kind of line, I guess, really. Yeah, yeah you're right. Using that term qualification, you've got to be really careful about that one. It really it's is for that. Said, it's like, because it is. And the thing is, and so many people refer to, to every kind of course that you go on as a qualification. And we have to remember that all qualifications and all courses are not equal. And, no. uh, and it isn't like an attendance, you know, an attendance certificate can be given for attending a seminar, can't it? So there could be no practical skill involved at all. Yeah, it could just be theory. You could sit yeah. there and read a book and give yourself an attendance certificate as well. So, you know, it's nice to have to show your employer that, say, you went to something or you listened to something. It's great for things like that. Um, but in terms of um, physically doing a treatment or insurance and stuff like that, it doesn't really have any, like, main connotations behind it. Yeah. And I think, would I be right in saying as well that with an attendance um, provide, attendance certificate provider, they would not be, need to be a qualified educator? Because I think no. I'm sure that you can just basically say this is, yeah, I mean, you could do a YouTube video and that and that would be enough to yeah, say that you yeah, attend. definitely. Yeah, that's yeah. all you need to hand out. And actually for the longest time, actually, it was kind of when we first started getting these attendance things, that was all our brand educators yeah. could give us. However, the brand education attendance certificate was enough for insurance at that yeah. time because we didn't have this whole accredited thing. So that's no. kind of how that all started, really. But yeah, you don't have to have anything to be able to hand it out. You know, my son could run a session. Yeah, <laughs> hand out everybody an attendance certificate. I'm going to go and do an attendance like session for a plumber 
plumbing or something you know I've watched watched my husband do that for quite a while so now yeah. I'm, I'm sure I could do that but like, yeah my, my son yeah my son did like a day of like you know being a farmer for the day he's not a qualified farmer he got an attendance certificate yeah. for the day <laughs> this is it. but I think those like analogies are really quite useful because you know there's if there's no assessment, then it isn't any kind of, and it really isn't a form of qualification in any way, is there? If there's no formal assessment. It needs to have an assessment, particularly for insurance purposes. The insurance yeah. purposes, it must have some type of assessment to prove your competence in your yeah. theory and your practical work, depending which, on what it is, obviously. Yeah. Which neatly leads us on to my next question, which is um, around due diligence, actually. And anyone, if, if you're not sure of what the term due diligence means, it's just basically following up on information that you've read, making sure that you are doing research into the background of what it is that you're going to buy and just making sure that it's fit for purpose. And that's like the key word here. So, um, yeah, so as I say, there's been a lot of talk around due diligence. So what kind of things can people look for in a course to make sure that where they're putting their money, they're going to get the appropriate level of value and, and usefulness for that certificate that they're going to gain? And also, like, because with the NOS, you were just talking about the standards. And so maybe does the National Occupational Standards feed into this? I love the fact that you use fit for purpose. But it's so true, isn't it? And fit you know, for purpose is my favourite phrase. <laughs> but also something we have to remember with this as well is that ultimately as educators, I mean, you're an educator, I'm an educator, and we've got huge numbers of friends that are educators. And, you know, and the majority of us, well, I think, you know, everyone that we associate with, educate well. Um, but there are educators that don't educate so well and they may frequent certain discount sites and stuff like that but they have to be fit for purpose and if not then this is where trading standards can come in so if you and but that's another whole episode I feel <laughs> but yeah that could completely be another episode <laughs> yeah. so yeah just as a, as a rough guide what kind of things should people be checking to make sure that they're getting a good course so before you part with your money yeah. <laughs> and hand it over, and this is part of that, yeah, and it is part of the due diligence thing, you know, you need to have a check to see what it is that you're getting for your money, okay? You need to find out what type of qualification it is. Um, so is it a regulated qualification? Is it an accredited course? Um, and you should be asking yourself at this point as well, you know, do I need a regulated qualification rather than the accredited one as well? That should be something that you should be able to decide first. If it's a brand new skill to you, maybe the regulated route should be the better route to go down first. So you need to be able to factor that in. So it's a case of thinking about those two things first. Which way are you needing to go if it's a completely new skill? And then when you're looking at it, you, know, you need to find out you know, who is it there the awarding bodies with. So if it's a regulated, you need to check who the awarding body is with and you can go through and check on those websites actually if they're still registered and current because that can be the other thing they might have been a VTC centre at one point but they might no longer be one and are still advertising that fact or they might be falsely advertising that they are a VTC centre and they're not. I actually have had that my one of my first qualifications that I took that person went on to um, advertise that they were a bad tech um educator and they won't yeah you need to just go back through and just double it takes five seconds to go on the website and just double check back through don't take their word for it because some people just use a logo off the internet unfortunately so you need to check that same with the accreditation side of it as well check that they're current with the accreditation body and what the standards are for the accreditation body as well that they're using uh, whether they're using someone like babtac or pro beauty or someone like that to kind of you know accredit and ensure their courses you need to check that first you need to find out if it is 
an accredited course or is it a CPD type course as well you need to check looking at the length of time it is you also want to check actually what you have to do to prove your competence for it as well and how your information is going to be delivered I think that's really important um, you know you see an online course maybe you know is that online course someone actually teaching you online um, for whatever skills it is you're doing like over zoom or are you going to be given a link to a YouTube account um, so you need to just double check that as well so how is the work going to be delivered what is the expectations in terms of you um, completing work how will you be assessed and how will you know your competence what's the time scale for in terms of getting your um like say case studies and things like that in there as well you need to have a look at that um is there a refund policy you know what is their grievance kind of procedures and things as well um, you know just dig a little bit deeper and also have a look at them look at the testimonials look at some of the other comments around the rooms um you know see if they've got like a student group or something like that maybe you can ask questions and ask questions of the educator you can ask them how long have you been doing this you know what qualifications do you have and they should come back and quite freely explain that if they've not already put that all over their glossy website they should quite freely come back and give you this information it's not something they should get shirty over because they've missed it on their they've missed it in their briefing you know and it's easy to do I've forgotten things you know people have had to ask and I've gone oh my goodness I haven't put that up I can't believe you've had to ask me but you you know that's your mistake and not theirs you know they shouldn't have to ask but if they do ask you should be quite happy to kind of freely give that information so it is about looking at how long have they been doing that skill and what you need to bear in mind is that for some accreditation kind of companies is that that person only has to have done that skill for six months, maybe two years maximum, depending on who you go with. So you want to ask yourself, have they got enough knowledge and experience to be teaching you? Are they in that position as well? So it is worth checking that. So leading, I guess, onto the educator kind of thing is that if you're looking for the qualifications they should have, a very minimum to show that they are able to teach someone is their AET, which is the Award in Education and Training. Or it could be the PETALS, because it was called PETALS a little while ago, or Sir Ed before Or the 7307 <laughs> going back a bit. Or if we go back to when I qualified, it was the 7307, yeah. <laughs> stage one, stage two. Um, so it, it does track back a little bit as well, but they should have a relevant teacher's qualification as well they should have a course plan for you um, and just you know if you get stuck like what's the protocol if you get stuck what's the support system in place you know are they going to be on the end of a phone or an email for you is there a time extension can you come back in if you struggle because you know we just don't all fit in the same little box you know we don't all learn the same and it will take some people longer than others to learn what's their backup plan for that because we don't always fit into one or two days is and also an interesting thing just to pick up on as well is that you know if you have you know a learning requirement you know maybe if you're hard of hearing or maybe if you suffer from dyslexia or you've got um, attention deficit or something like that you know and these are like really common issues for people that educators do come across and it's like so if you do suffer with any of those kind of conditions then you know just checking with the educators to make sure that they understand how to deal with that because any any educator that's gone through the appropriate training themselves will have been um, instructed and given advice and guidance on how to help and assist people from all different learning backgrounds. Definitely. I mean, particularly the higher up they've gone in their, their teaching qualifications, um, if they've gone as far as the certificate or the diploma rather than the award, the award is very short and sweet. And if they've gone as far as that, they would have had a lot of theory and training on there. But they should be adaptable yeah. um, and should be able to adapt 
colors of papers, different fonts of text, putting some audio. I mean, I've got like audio over some of my, my stuff for my students. Um, they should be able to just, you know, switch things up a little bit and tweak and change for the individual's learners' needs, really. There shouldn't be any barrier to your learning. Um, and like I said, yeah, not everyone all fits in the same kind of box as well. So whatever you need to do to tweak and change that up for that particular candidate um, is better. Absolutely. And also just going back to the point you were saying about the on, about online, because obviously through the pandemic, huge amounts of education and training has been occurring online, some of which has been fantastic and some of which has been less so. And, you know, so, well, there's been some horrors isn't there, that we've seen going through, you know, like micro, online microblading and stuff like that. I mean, it just some of it is really quite... Um, 50 pounds or less. Yes. And just, but it, some of it's really hard to understand how anyone that's a, a professional educator can think that that is acceptable you know you need to be in the room and so if you are doing online just make sure that you've got plenty of opportunities to attend practical sessions it's fine doing theory online and it's, it's fine for a lot of different treatments to do um, online via zoom for practical you know input but you still need to be assessed in in a sensible way just to make sure that the educator can see clearly what you are doing and especially yeah. in the skin or in injecting into the skin you really really need to be monitored during that process brings me out in cold sweats that thought um, but yeah I mean some things work really well and anything you can get a camera right over like yeah. nails it works really well in actually some brow work it works quite well in as well yeah. having a zoom camera but you kind of need that interaction someone's yeah. got to be able to see and stop you and check you and carry on a bit further so I think there's that kind of element it's great for refreshing great for little nail art things and yeah, stuff like that really small yeah, little add-ons yeah it's you know, great for after, stuff especially like after a course isn't it if you've had yeah. issues you know so that you can you know and particularly with nails I mean one our, one of our counter um, parts in the federation um, Jenny has had amazing success with her online training over um, over the last year or so and her perspective on being able to view you know apex of nails and c curves and all that kind of stuff and looking down the barrel is probably so much more she's adamant that she's actually able to see so much more which for you know an educator is amazing because we all I can that see that hard. completely because you know you could have what 10 students learning yeah. nails leaning over the back of you trying to look yeah. around at one yeah. demo model you're doing or they all get view. a bird's eye view yeah. zoomed in camera lens no, <laughs> I think I know which one I yeah some things do adapt really really well but things like that maybe come under the jccp um guidelines maybe should be a real like in attendance that's the thing when it comes to the due diligence it's like not getting yeah. caught up with the shiny object syndrome it's taking a step back and asking yourself you know actually would this be better yeah. you know in there because ultimately you know the responsibility still lies with you and not the educator yeah. should something go wrong <laughs> so I think it's worth remembering and, that and the thing is as well you know and quite often people will make a, a judgment on a course that they're going to take it because of the price of the course and that isn't really that should or that shouldn't be the first port of call on your checklist mm -hmm. because you know sometimes it's worth investing in yourself and making sure that you get the best education that you can rather than the most value driven definitely yeah so what happens when we don't get it right and, mm. um, and what can the consequences be Donna wow <laughs> we've kind of touched on that a little bit haven't yeah, we really we but I think it is really important I think to remember that you know no matter what course that you do um even with the kind of you know going all the crack pathways and things like that as well like you know you've still got to make sure that 
you follow protocols and things like that as well. Ultimately, your insurer is looking to you to make sure you've done your due diligence first, to make sure that the course is right. Um, and that we come back to that fit for purpose. And that's why we talk about the standards so much, this national framework of standards as well, because everything is marked against that. There's nothing else for an insurer to look at. So, you know, we like to kind of mark ourselves against that as well. But if you've, you know, say taken something that you maybe haven't done your due diligence in um, and, you know, you've taken a short course, maybe there were some procedures missing or something like that, um, and you didn't have all the knowledge you needed, and you've gone away and done a treatment on a paying client as well, and it's gone wrong, the first thing that happens, obviously, when a client wants to then um, make a claim against you, your insurer is going to come back to that course. They're going to look at your training. They're going to look at your manufacturers, you know, make sure you follow all the manufacturers' protocols as well. And they're going to look at that training, and they're going to decide whether that training is fit for purpose. And if there's no way to prove that that was fit for purpose, that you were competently assessed, um, that you can show that you were assessed, um, that you had some interaction as well, um, and can prove all of that. Ultimately, the responsibility still lies with you. Um, and as the claimant, you're not going to actually be able to um, claim on that insurance. They're not going to be able to cover you. The loss adjuster will come in and decide that you're personally liable in more cases than none. And therefore, not only does that affect your future policies, but it also means you're going to have to deal with that. And that might mean, you know, that's coming out of your personal assets. And if you don't have a lot of personal assets, it's a problem. And I do know that this has happened to people before where they haven't had all of their I's dotted and T's crossed and things. And and they have had to then set up payment plans to pay back thousands. You know, this was over an eyebrow shape, actually, but like thousands and thousands had to go back over something just through one little kind of little bit that they just missed um, looking at it. So it's not to kind of guess, I guess, the scaremongering things, but you need to ask yourself, is it appropriate for such a such a face-to-face tactile environment that we we work in you know is some things better off being done face-to-face where someone can give you the hands-on support as well I guess and those are the ultimate the ultimate big consequences obviously the other consequences are not getting it right poor results your client's not returning your reputation (laughs) you know there are simple things other than just big things like you know you're going to have to pay out maybe out of your you know using your, your mortgage or your house or whatever I know people that have that's happened to but it's more about, you know, ultimately as a business itself is, you know, what if, what does that put out to your clients as well? If you're doing something incorrect, you're not getting the results you're after because you didn't have all the information that you needed and you're making lots of mistakes. That's maybe handing out refunds left, right and centre. That's maybe yeah. multiple insurance cases. <laughs> you know, it's just it's yeah, not great. It could be. Yeah. I mean, you can open yourself up to a whole can of worms. And it is another. And one of the things actually is just just going through my mind whilst we're talking about this is, you know, going back to kind of the accredited training is that, you know, obviously there's always new and emerging treatments. And, you know, we, we, you were saying, you know, that many of the accrediting insurers expect, you know, six months to two years um, of experience by the educator. But sometimes they can't, have, because, you know, they, there's a new treatment and that needs to be talked to the masses um, more quickly than six months. There's just a little bit there as well that you kind of need to, if there's an educator that's teaching a new emerging treatment, you know, how many treatments have they done? If they've only been on you know, a training course in America or something, say, and they come back and they immediately start training, what, you know, ask them what what skills they've learned, how many times they've done it, what case studies they've done, you know, there's there's due diligence everywhere in this. And if it's a if it's a new treatment, then just make sure that you're well, for sure. Sure. foundation skills that would support them being able to teach a new skill like that. 
I remember when the, um, uh, I do some brand training, and I remember when the Hannah stuff came out, the Hannah Brown, um, and, you know, experienced Tinter and things as well, and did all my training and things like that. I still had to do 15 case studies, and they had to be marked by the head office in Australia for that, um, before I was allowed to get started yeah. on running that. So. And there, were, there should be, especially with brand, anything that comes via a brand, if it's, I don't know, sometimes things are a little bit more vague, aren't they? But if it's via a brand, that brand should be um, requiring much practice. The most of them, I think most of the big ones do as well anyway. I think a good majority do because they have that sleek little system and things like that. It's just how quickly is the rollout and things like that yeah. going to be and how things have developed and things. And I think it's just, it is important to remember that. And I think other little red flags and things as well is like when you get, um, you know, when you ask about equipment and things like that and they say, here, here's your Amazon link. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Also, that's it's things like it. that. Yeah, it's like, you know, is kit included, you know, or do you need to go and buy Do you need to go and buy a kit? Who do I go and shop and buy my kit yeah. from? And are they a wholesaler? Because again, due diligence, it's that if there's a problem with the machinery, it's having that trail, that audit trail to come back to so it lies with the manufacturer. And that's not Amazon. <laughs> No, or eBay. or eBay. They're not your manufacturer. Yeah. Or Alibaba. And it kind of, yeah, and it kind of stops there. At that point, yeah. when do you go back to the manufacturer even further when there's a problem? So you've got to make sure that you've done that side of your due diligence. So yes, sometimes it does cost us a bit more to get something from a wholesaler, but you have got that added protection in that audit trail um, that is worth remembering as well. Like you've got to make sure you've got that audit trail because ultimately you're it could be really costly for you to get something, have a problem with it, and you're gonna to have to keep replacing it or dealing with it even down to not not injuring clients just having problems with it you've yeah. got no one to come back to you. I know because I know I bought, I bought a machine um oh, years ago such problems and in the end I had to not do one part of what was on this machine because I couldn't actually get it um sorted because manufacturing costly. was not was not great let's say that no. next when you are looking and you're wanting to join our industry What's your biggest tip, do you reckon, for getting people to an employable state? What kind of qualifications do you think are best to be employed in a salon environment? I guess really for this, it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Going into a salon, generally salons are going to want you to be able to do a good majority of things. Now, anything around the level two kind of level, particularly in beauty, should I say, more than it is in like nails. Nails, it kind of dips more into that level three area. Um, but generally level two beauty, for example, is your bread and butter work, really. Um, so the sorts of activities and skills that come within that is your bread and butter. So generally it's more cost effective to go and do the bigger qualification and to take your time learning that as you go. But you can equally find um, somewhere that allow you to do each one of those skills individually as well. Um, I would say that would set you up a little bit better um, because of the practice that you tend to get in with this. When you're doing a regulated qualification, you have to do sort of almost case studies and reflection case studies before you take your actual assessment and get graded. So you get a little bit more practice at it. Um, having said that, though, obviously, it's not something you're 100% sure that you want to embark on. Um, then I always think that sometimes that's where the accreditation side comes in. Is that It's good for dipping your toe in the water. You know, maybe try out that manicure qualification or something like that. See if you like it. And then that's something that work can be mapped over to your regulated qualifications when you want to go all in. So that allows you to have that. And the other kind of skills that come from that learning environment is generally all of the other practices that we need. It's the health and safety. 
it's the risk assessments, it's the business practices, it's how to communicate with the clients and the consultation, it's all the legality side of things to make sure you're not missing out on that. And that isn't always covered in some of the accreditation stuff because they're very skill focused quite often, not all, because I'm doing my damnedest to change that, but they are quite often skill focused and they don't focus on this other stuff as well that's in the benchmark of these standards, these national standards. And that's the bit you're missing out from as well. But that's not to say, particularly if you're a mature learner, that you have to come in and sit in a class full of 16-year-olds and attend college because you don't. (laughs) I know. So you don't have to do that because a lot of people when they're coming into the industry, sometimes they're coming in a little bit later. They've done something else. So there are loads of training academies where you can do it independently there. And you can do each unit independently as well. Um, And they're nice small groups and things as well. Some of the colleges even run these nice small groups in an evening and things or weekends as well. So you don't have to go into that kind of route as well. There's loads of ways of getting a regulated qualification. It's a nice small centre locally as well. So I say that would set you up better, particularly if you want to be employed by a salon. I think most salons will need people to initially be able to do the majority of things before they have a couple of specialities with each staff member. But that does depend on the ethos. I know salons that insist on everybody doing everything. And I know some that encourage a little bit of um speciality kind of things um but obviously that's an issue if someone leaves because then you, you're missing the whole treatment yeah. off your menu absolutely it's and i think and i think it's always about I, as an employer as a salon employer myself having a level three especially in the beauty side of things and i think probably it would, that would go to hair as well and now now is kind of always kind of sits in its own little place because there isn't such a formal um route of qualification through but, um, but definitely, I know for myself as an employer, level three is always so helpful. Because I think it, it, it helps with the advanced work. Yeah. yeah, the advanced work it really helps with. Um, I think level three hairdressing now is becoming more standard. Uh, like as a standard, you know, it helps you a bit more shop floor ready. Whereas it, when I was in college, it was the level two. Um, but the level three beauty usually is a natural kind of falling progression of some, and there's different routes for the level three beauty. The level four is getting very popular now as well, because so many salons do the advanced lasers and things like that as well. I've been um, very and the, yeah, and the advanced techniques that actually, that's almost going to become common practice again as well. But not every salon does say electrical treatments and things. So that's why they've got like the massage route um, with the, the level three. And then they've got obviously the sort of more traditional generalized kind of route as well with the electricals and things. But most Mostly what they need out of that is the body massage and, yeah. the, and the anatomy and physiology. They're the two main sticking points for a lot of future courses. Yeah. Um, and if you want to do more facial work, then you've definitely got to get that electrical unit in as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is, I think, you know, that level three, you know, the, just even the level three anatomy and physiology and pathology now is just, it, that is a, a required I think in salon now, because with the, anything, even if you can get brand training for electrical um, machinery and stuff, you still need to have that fundamental. Yeah, you need to have that in place because they're not going to teach you that. They'll teach you their machine, but they expect you to have that already. And this is why employers, I think, always want to have that level three because it just opens the door to everything. Yeah. And, and again, that can be done in units as well. It doesn't yeah, have to be absolutely. one big thing. You can literally do it in bite-sized chunks over a period of time so you're getting a return yeah. on your investment and things absolutely. as well. Okay, so with everything we've just been talking about, that there's been so much talk over regulation and education and all sorts of different things. Yeah, we were just sort of saying about the changes that could be coming to the industry. Yeah, so I think, you know, education-wise, I think we're going to see quite a few changes, um, not only with more 
like kind of tightening up and think of the regulations and things, um, particularly because we've got um, the new national occupational standards out as well. So we're starting to see more depth coming from that, um, more broader and more of the treatments we've been seeing kind of out in the public domain a little bit more as well. So we're starting to see more of that kind of coming online. But I think over this kind of last year, we've had the online kind of thing dipping in a little bit. We're starting to see more of that now. So I think we will see that, but for a variety of things, I think we'll see a lot of business practices and things, um, all the kind of soft skills, I call them soft skills really, but I think we'll see a lot more of that popping up around academies and colleges and things as well. Um, and we'll definitely see more use of Zoom um, for refreshing, for assessment purposes, to save kind of people traveling places and things. I know a lot of the awarding bodies have adopted that sort of Zoom kind of um, to do their sort of auditing and things like that as well. So I think we'll see a little bit more of that online and online resources as well. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, less of the sit in the classroom, open up a manual, be bored to death for two hours <laughs> and then yeah. do your, your practical work. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a change with things like that. And I think it's going to be quite an exciting kind of future to yeah. see how we can adopt all these different things that are coming online now um, as well and these different methodologies as well because there's so many different systems that you can use for online work and I use that word quite like that word quite loosely really I guess I mean more virtual kind of work yeah. than online because I guess online it's a bit like just logging in and doing something isn't it but actually yeah. virtual is more interaction isn't it really definitely I think I think it's going to be an exciting time and I think that the um the pandemic and the lockdowns have given our industry broadly across all the sectors of our industry I think it's given everybody food for thought and has given new opportunities time to develop you know even with like you know this what we're involved with the federation now professionals you know that wouldn't have had the space to grow and become something without the pandemic and and that's going to be the same you know online education the virtual education is going to be something massive I think that comes out of this and it could be so positive for the industry definitely I think it's just pushed everything forward a little bit more there's yeah. some things that stopped and had to stay and then some things that just been pushed forward a bit more and I think that's really done it that's pushed it forward and we've just escalated things over the years as well which is fab. It, it is and I think you know that like you talk about the soft skills you know people's awareness you know normally as a business owner whether you work from your home salon or whether you're mobile or whether you've got a salon with 20 staff in or whatever it is you know and obviously if you're in a salon with 20 staff hopefully you've got some really good business skills there um but you know that opportunity everyone's had to kind of realize that they do need to understand about how they market their services how they cost their services and all that kind of stuff is has been just invaluable and i know so many people have taken many many more business skill training opportunities in this last year which is which is only a good thing because people then will start valuing themselves and valuing our industry more which is uh, I completely agree I think it's done wonders for people particularly you know if they've been struggling and things like that it's happened to streamline things a little bit more or it's happened to scale and things like that and like I say it's going to give us better long-lasting kind of businesses overall and it just means that like people that have been good at some of this stuff have been sharing the knowledge which is fantastic yeah. as well so I think it's been quite a nice way to kind of come together as a little bit of a community and things as well sharing lots of knowledge you know something's paid for and that's absolutely fine people need to be paid for their time some people have whole new businesses born out of it which is yeah. fantastic it's been amazing um yeah and I think you know yes okay we're putting a little box the rubbish bits because <laughs> yeah. There has been some really, we'll just put that to one side because yeah. that has been, you know, we've had some rubbish little bits, haven't we? Um, and some bits that, you know, we've really hit us hard with, but we have had some positives out of it and it has given us time to really look 
uh, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and refocus a little bit. And I think our businesses, once we get over this few little hurdles that we've got, and we settle into our reopening plans, and we settle into the new normal and the new future, however that may look, I think actually we'll see better, stronger businesses at the end yeah. of it um, that have started to tick more than just the transactional service kind of box. Yeah, better and stronger professionals. That's what we want. Definitely. Definitely. So I agree. Finally, I have some quick fire questions. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> There's seven. These are in development. And so this may, this may change in, in future interviews. But to okay. begin with, we've got seven questions. So just quick fire round. I'm ready. I'm ready. I feel like I should have a buzzer. Okay. There's no buzzer. <laughs> we'll just go. So, what is your why and what makes you get out of bed in the morning? My why is to completely tra transform how education is looked at actually and to make sure that we have amazing educators that know how to use the national standards um, and to change the industry and to change the way that short courses are looked at as well. I want to elevate the short courses. So that is, that's my why. My getting out of bed in the morning is receiving amazing messages from my students when they tell me they've had successful launches, they've got their first 10 bookings on their, their courses and things like that. So that's, that gets me out of bed and gets me excited and passionate about things. Wonderful. What has been the happiest moment in your career? <gasps> oh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there's probably a few, actually. Yeah. I think, actually, probably in the last couple of weeks, those thus far with the Academy Creator, because I've had a couple of students roll out some big numbers with their first courses as well. So I had one that literally got messaging me over the weekend, 10 sign-ups to her first course. Excellent. Um, after a very short intro kind of week or two as well with just lead gen and stuff like that as well. And I've got another one who's fully booked for the next five or six weeks, which Brilliant. is fantastic. So I'm so excited. So that that's probably my biggest kind of wins, I guess, at the Happy moment as well. Yeah, for yeah, for that kind of thing. I mean, obviously joining the feds as well, which is really cool. Yeah. But that's I see that as an industry kind of thing, that you know, my duty yeah. and things like that. Whereas, you know, this is very personal to me because they're like my babies. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so what's the best piece of advice you've had? And did you listen at the time or learn the lesson later? <laughs> oh, best piece of advice that I've had. Goodness me. Actually, do you know what, actually, is, is sometimes I think I have to hear things three or four times over. I think I'm one of them um, as well. But actually, some of it is um, probably going back to my first coach, actually, which would be Pete Scott. Um, and actually just literally changing the way I look at everything was looking at the outcome. When I really got focused on looking at the end goal and the outcome, that, that massively changed it for me. Um, and detracting myself from um, the end goal, I guess, if you like, sometimes, like when I'm doing a launch or something like that, I'm busy doing the launch and serving and enjoying myself. I'm not thinking, how many sales can I get? <laughs> yeah. Like I literally detach myself from that. And that makes a massive difference. Like just detach yourself from the money side of things and enjoy in the moment serving whoever it is you've got in front yeah. of you. It's just a massive game changer absolutely i've got to get that my head found that one too um in fact i'm hoping i've got to speak to pete and see if he's going to come on as a guest at some point this be good. he'll be good um okay what has been your biggest learning curve biggest learning curve i guess i don't know i think probably the biggest thing that i've learned actually um particularly over the last year as well is that you know not everything has to be perfect when it goes out like you don't have to like you know perfectionism is an issue it doesn't have to be perfect for the message to land if you get too caught up in the message sometimes the message doesn't land <laughs> 
um, and don't rush it. You know, it's saying like you don't want to make it perfect, but you don't want to rush something through as well. I think that's the other thing. When I rush something through and I'm not really thinking and I don't think about all my logical steps from my coaches that they've given me, then sometimes it doesn't go the way I want it to. But equally, I see I don't think of anything as a failure. I see it as a lesson. That's definitely one of the things I've learned is a lesson. And I just go back and I put it apart and I see what needs to be tweaked. Because normally it's just yeah. a little bit of tweaking somewhere, messages off somewhere or something like that. So I don't get too upset. I don't think, oh, it's a failure, it's a flop and go into a big depression about no, it. I'm no. just like, no, you know, that'd be a lot of ice cream otherwise. But it's very much like, you know, what's the lessons I can learn from that? Why didn't that quite go to plan? What can I do and tweak next time and things? And, and that's OK. Yeah. I'm OK with it then. Bit of self-assessment going on there. Mm. <laughs> um, okay so what person place or experience has altered your life the most <laughs> these are really hard no, questions they're hard, they're not, they? well they are hard questions oh I don't know so because I'm on mentor number two now but um I think no, I'm gonna I know I'm so terrible aren't I I just can't help myself um but I think probably probably the person that's probably given me the biggest kind of influence to get me thus far has been Pete. Yeah. Um, so Pete Scott has really helped. But then I've had Phil Harrison in between that time, who has really helped yeah. me with my lead generation. And that's been a huge game changer. And now I'm with Charles Osmond. Um, yeah. And so and I'm really enjoying that. But that's literally just the last couple of weeks. So, you know, who knows where I'm going to be in six months time, but I'm ready for the next step and the next level up. Um, and it's finding the right people to help guide you with those messages and things as well. So yeah, yes. I take a lot of inspiration from people and just, just people in the industry just yeah. doing well for themselves. I just, I love my students I take yeah. inspiration from because they, you know, I love it when they flip something on its head and do something different. I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah, this is it. Who knew you could do that that way? You know, it's like, okay, what is your ultimate go-to treatment when you are doing your self-care and where would you go to have that treatment? Oh, Mm. pampering stuff would be facials mm. I do like a facial um and particularly I'm really into like the laser kind of facials and mm. stuff like that the skin rejuvenation facials and things that my friend does but I am really big on like remedial massage I like having remedial massage done as well so I see that as my self-care if I go to a spa like those are the two kind of things I'll try and book as well they're my biggest things excellent and do you have is there anywhere that you go particularly do you go do you prefer going to like a day spa or do you go to a local salon if you want to have something done? Mm, I've got a couple of local salons and I've got some friends in there and I've got some that I can go in and be a bit anonymous because otherwise yeah. if I go and see my friend I end up chatting too much um, and it's not really relaxing no. <laughs> weirdly enough I chat too much um, so I do have some other mm. local salons and stuff I've got um, a friend that does um, remedial massage I go and see her but if I'm feeling pampery because I live um, sort of not far from um, Bagshot in North Hampshire so Penny Hill Park is one of my favourite kind of spas to go to because it's only 30 minutes away from me but it feels like it's miles away yeah. um, and it's got a lovely spa and hotel there as well so yeah when non-covid times me and my husband visit there at least once a year if not twice if we can manage it with a, a weekend away without the boy and yeah, enjoying nice. ourselves in the spa and chilling and eating all the nice food in the posh restaurant and getting dressed up and stuff so yeah that's oh, my, that my happy like place a lifetime ago mm. I've, just, I've just got back to doing the swims at my local gym that is a bit day spa-y there and it is just so nice being back in the water and being back in that environment yeah, but um, and lastly, would you do it all again? Totally, I would completely. Like, I've even this year, which sounds like a weird thing to say, I sit there and think about where I am now with my business, and I think if this hadn't happened this last year, where would I? Where would I be? 
because I don't th- I think it's evolved naturally yeah. and where it has got to because of what we've been through even though this wasn't the original plan <laughs> so know, it's one it's of those weird, weird it's a weird kind of place I'm sat in there because I had the academy creator I just envisaged it being very very different and I had to evolve with it because of the different things that we had kind of going on and actually I'm really pleased because actually I think it's a much better product <laughs> and yeah. a much better course and I've got a, a few other courses and things that go around it so I actually think it's a better thing so Actually, I think everything I've done, even if it's been a mistake, I think has actually been a good thing. Actually, I wouldn't go back and change it. I try not to have regrets if I can help it, but I would try not to go back and change anything um, because I think I had to go through that. I think I needed to take walk that path to be where I am now. So even all the mistakes I made when I first set up my training academy, you know, struggling and things like that, and, you know, living month to month and all that kind of stuff. I think actually, do you know what? I think I probably needed to do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So I think Amazing. I have to do the hard road. So actually nothing, weirdly enough. Great. Well, that's all very nice and positive. Mm. So that's been a great amount of time. We've just been chatting. We actually, I think yeah. for us, that's quite a miracle that we've I got think we've done well. that amount of time. Because we could be here for like three or four hours. Yeah, I, I know, think we people could switch off after a while. We do. We, anyway. We could do so, like a big, long, just chatting session and just like, you know, Don yes. and Sue have a chat and everybody could just, just drop in and out. Show. Yeah, it's just in a live, and they could just drop in and out, and yeah. just ramble on. <laughs> Maybe we have to do another. We have to do another another episode where it's just us sitting chewing the cud over over the industry because I think it's a good idea. It is an amazing industry to work in, and um, and even though like my, my world's all kind of shifting a little bit at the moment, which um, will become more apparent as the week. I like about on. this industry; it's so diverse. There's so yeah. something new all the time. There's, there's plenty of room, for, and there's plenty of room for everybody. I think yeah. that's the thing. If there's enough slice of the pie for everybody and yeah. just don't think we need to be competitors with each other no. we really don't I don't see competitors they're just no, other people that just, are doing we something to, we just different. need to value ourselves I think is, is the biggest key to the year we've just been through and going forward but yeah, so thank awesome. you so much Donna and um and yeah next week we start our career pathways episodes starting with um employed status in as a role in the industry and uh, yeah that'd be really great and thank you so much for coming on today Donna thank you for having me I thoroughly enjoyed it Thank you so much there to Donna Clayton my first ever Inspiring Salon Professionals podcast guest she has covered there so many different things that I know she talks about passionately across most of social media areas like the qualification types from off-qual regulated qualifications through to just attendance certificates. There's so much in between and uh, hopefully that's given you a really, really good insight into how to check those courses. One of the lovely things I think about the um, interview process doing this is just asking those questions at the end. And I think they probably will kind of chop and change a little bit as we go through with different guests because some may be more relevant to some guests than others. But hearing how Donna takes a little while sometimes to get the message through and when she does it isn't always about reaching and achieving perfection it's about doing the very best you can and and realizing that failure is always a lesson there is always something that needs to be learned and her view of just uh, just a little bit of tweaking needed just gives us all something to take away I think today and just realize that no matter how much we're trying to achieve that just starting the task starting the journey is enough and we should all give ourselves a massive pat on the back for making sure that we are taking a step in the right direction join me next week 
when we'll be talking about career pathways. That's going to be a little three-part series looking at being an employee, a mobile worker, and also working from a home salon environment and a few key pointers on the best ways to do those three different things. So see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Salon Professionals. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share with other industry professionals you think may enjoy the show too. For links and further information, you'll find those in the show notes or on my website, www.suedavies.org. You can also hear more from me and join the Inspiring Salon Professionals community on the Facebook group. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye for now.